Earlier this year, it was impossible to turn on the news without hearing about GameStop, Wall Street, and Wall Street bets. The rogue group of investors in the infamous Reddit group turned the markets on their ear as traditional investors were left scratching their heads. Today, we welcome the original diamond hands of Wall Street bets to the show to discuss the traditional financial markets, his view on cryptos, and how the people have the power to take back their power. Jamie Roganzinski is the founder of the group, and he's got a lot of words on the topics. Whether your hands are made of diamonds, titanium, plastic, cardboard, or flesh, we welcome you to episode number 555 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, Everybody, my name is Joel. That there's Travis, and this here is the Bad Crypto Podcast. Welcome, y'all. Uh, we've uh, we decided we're taking over the uh, the, uh, the the Wild West kind of demographic of the cryptos now. So instead of listening to those other guys that drew and that other guy, you're listening now to us. That's funny. I thought maybe we was in the deep South instead. So we're. We're all over the country with all We're in the deep of- south and the deep west. I mean, what is that? Is it really deep? I don't know. I just like the way you talk, Travis. You sure got a pretty mouth. Thank you. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show, gang. We've got a little <laughs> bit of news and we've got an awesome interview with the original Diamond Hands for you. Also, we just got done interviewing Jihan Wu. The founder, Jihan Wu. Woohoo. Woohoo. This is an interview we've been chasing down for quite some time. And uh, he, of course, is the founder of Bitmain and now the founder of Matrixport. And they're actually a sponsor of the show. If you've lost your way in the low yield environment while searching for a better store of value to beat inflation, look no further than Matrixport to get the most out of your crypto. Invest today, earn up to 30%. 30%. 30% annualized yields. Learn more at badco.in forward slash matrix port and uh, stick around here over the next uh, few weeks. We'll have our interview with Jihan Wu uh, mm. coming out. This guy is, uh, he is as OG as you get in the Bitcoin space. Whoa. Woo. I know, D- I know DeFi. Oh, I know. Woo. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That was a little matrix reference. Matrix so, port, isn't that what they called that thing? Whenever they like, yeah, stuck it in in, uh, in uh, Keanu's head is a matrix yeah. port, right? You jack yeah. in, and then you know stuff. You, you jack into the matrix port, and then you learn DeFi. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the interview coming up shortly, but first let's uh, hit on a few of the lead stories in the news. Time stamp: ten fifty-six a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the sixth of uh, what is it? October twenty twenty-one. Uh, crypto's on the move right now, gang. A sharp mm. spike up with the market caps at two point three seven eight trillion dollars. Bitcoin fifty-four thousand three hundred and thirty-one dollars. Ethereum thirty-five eighty-three. Cardano two two two. Tether a buck. Binance Coin four thirty-seven. XRP back over a dollar. Buck eight. Solana. $159, Dogecoin, 25 and a half cents, Polkadot, $31.50, and USD coin at a dollar even. Surprise, surprise. I want to I want to I want to state this because I think this is really important. State your name. It, it, it looks to me. So this just, you know, Bitcoin, 
popped up over a pretty big, um, you know, it, it, in September it hit 52,000 on the 6th of September and then it hit 56,000 today. It has not been this high since it looks like the next, the next place is going to try to pop up above is going to be 58,700. And then if it hits that, then it could, it could test the all time high of 64,800. Like, I mean, this has just popped over a major resistance point uh, for folks who like to do the, analysis uh i mean it's it's up 30 some odd percent in the last seven days like this could be this could be the time you know a lot of people have been talking about like oh this was just the first wave of the bull run the big Mm -hmm. bull run the big daddy bull run is getting ready to happen people were talking about it and they were connecting the dots to what happened in 2017 and 2013 and it's like we haven't hit the big one yet and if this thing pops a little bit more, it looks like we could be on for a roll. I'll bet you we see one more dip below 50. This is not financial advice uh, before the big push. And I think that um, I'm I am predicting and purely on my amateur charting, what other people are saying and my gut feeling that November and December are going to be bombastic in a good way. Like, mm-hmm. uh, look, look at this Shiba Inu up 234% this week, Travis. I yeah. don't know what happened. Did they like get listed somewhere or something? I, it went crazy this week. It was awesome. Like right after I got out of it to get into something else and it That's, takes off. Yeah. Moving, moving money around, whatever. Any That's big what losers? Uh, you, it's the biggest gainer. Axie up 84% this week. OMG 67%. Uh, there are some big winners, Tezos, that uh, you've been a fan of, up 47% over the last seven days. Yeah, there's it, been a lot of these. I mean, if you go down and look at the list of the top, you know, 100 who have popped up significantly. I'm looking at this. I'm seeing, let me see here. Man, I, I, so many of them up over 20%. There's so many. This what is the like, hell? Is Bitcoin Cash ABC, and why is it in the top 100? <laughs> because because people are stupid. I well, I don't I don't know what it is. I'm not smart enough to know what it is. Well, there is some news that has happened this week. I think that is contributing to the uh, public sentiment rise of of Bitcoin. One of them are well, there's two of them that are statements from the U.S. government. One of them is from the Federal Reserve Chairman, which is not officially the U.S. government, uh, Jerome Powell, and he said that the U.S. has no intention to ban Bitcoin and crypto. That is the official word. So while China is saying, you know, mine, um, United States is saying we don't mind. That's nice of them. I'm glad they're uh, I'm glad that they're looking at that. Yeah. So that's I think that they're they're still looking to figure out what they want to do. I think that they want to control it in some way, right? It's clear that they would like to control it. They don't want to destroy all innovation. Um, you know, I think what's going to happen here is that they're going to keep crypto going, and then they're going to launch their uh, Fed coin, uh, the their own CBD, you know, their own their own CBD and THC <laughs> version of it. It's going to be great. We're going to be smoking up this digital currencies. No, I think that that something's about to pop out on that. And I think uh, I actually, Dan Bongino, I saw this popped up on Instagram and he was talking about how that's one of the biggest threats to our Liberty is whenever 
the U.S. dollar uh, converts strictly to 100% digital because then they're going to be able to track everything, every spend, everything that you do. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a little concerning considering the fact. But I think that's why it's so important for folks to be involved in decentralized cryptos because that's where sovereignty lies is being in control of your own keys, being in control of your own cryptos. But your, your family members are going to start realizing here shortly that digital currencies are here to stay. If they haven't realized it yet, you were just an early adopter. You're listening to this. You're hearing it. You're knowing what's going on. Uh, you're learning what's going on. But these, these central bank digital currencies are going to be big and they're going to use it as a control mechanism. Most likely, you're going to get a UBI of some sort, universal basic income, only if you have the vaccination pass or something. There's going to be some stipulations to this. If Microsoft actually uh, had a patent on this that came out in June of 2020, and it was a, a patent for earning crypto based on your your bio rhythms, like they, they attach a device to you or a microchip of some sort. It's a patent that they have. It's a world known worldwide patent. And uh, I think that's part of it. It's like, oh, if you don't have this, if you don't have your, my, my conspiracy theory at that time was, oh, Microsoft and Bill Gates, it seems to me that if you're not going to get your universal basic income if you don't have the latest vaccination updates to your to your bio, right? Like, oh, you haven't gotten the latest booster, then you no longer are vaccinated. You're not going to earn your, your crypto money. I think that that's a strong possibility, even more so now as we've seen what's happened over these last 18 months. So make sure you're sovereign. You have yourself some cryptos outside of this and tell your friends and friends and family they might want to start thinking about it also because this is real. It's getting real time, folks. They, uh, uh, Jerome Powell's not the only one to make a statement. Gary Gensler, who is the head of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, has said that the agency does not have the authority or intention to ban cryptocurrency. Well, I think, you know, it doesn't matter what your intention is if you've already disclosed that you don't have the authority. Nobody cares, right. but he yeah. did say we don't have the authority to do it and we don't intend to do it. Right. Okay. Well, that's great, but you don't have the authority anyway. That's nice. He said it would be up to Congress. So of course, if mm -hmm. Congress wants to, uh, you know, do some sort of laws that could prohibit, then they, they can certainly try. Uh, but you know, here's the thing. Um, Bitcoin is uh, unstoppable money. It just, it just is. And uh, do you think that just because Bitcoin mining has stopped in China, that it stopped Bitcoin in China. No, I mean, that, that they're shooting themselves in the foot there, which is fine with me. Shoot yourself mm -hmm. in your Chinese foot. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So it is, it is always interesting to think about because, I mean, if you've ever watched any of these congressional hearings when they're talking to people revolving around technology, it's like these Congress people are the biggest doofus boomers you've ever heard of in your life. And they like, so if I'm on Facebook and does that mean I'm on the internet? Like, what's, what is that? You know, my, if you're giving me an ad on that, does that mean that I'm being advertised to like, you have my data. Like, like the Congress folks bless their, bless their little hearts are dumb as shit when it comes to technology. They don't have, they, they don't need to be regulated. So that's why there needs to be other organizations that, are, but then there's these lobbyists that'll tell them what they want to do. And, 
big money, big banks. They don't they don't want crypto, it's but- it's incestuous. The only thing that these uh, these lawmakers are good for are getting on their knees and and you know begging for money so they can keep their power. That's what it's all yeah. about. Bunch of I love bunch my of power. So is this Facebook? Does this mean when it Facebook went down? Does that mean I lost Facebook? Lost my power? Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. I want to cover this one more government story here because, you know, Gensler says that the House could do something. Apparently a, um, a representative, Patrick McHenry, who is a member of the House Financial Services Committee, has introduced the Clarity for Digital Tokens Act of 2021, which would establish a three-year safe harbor for token development teams to offer tokens for sale without full registration as securities offered on the condition that the network is decentralized over the course of those three years. Crypto mom, the uh, Hester Pierce of the Security and Exchange Commission, says that uh, she supports this, that this is actual legislative backing behind uh, her proposal. And uh, Crypto mom, we'd love to have you on the show. If anybody is connected to uh, Hester, come uh, come be bad with us here in a good way, in a bad way, kind of. In, a bad, in, a good in way any, way you, any way you want it. That's the way you need it. Any way you want it. Okay, hold on, hold on one second. You know what? Steve Perry was awesome with Journey, no question about it. But Ar- Arnel Pineda, that is that how you say his name? Arnel Pineda, the the Filipina kid that took over. Uh, you know, he talks with a very thick Filipino accent, but when he sings, his voice is so close to Steve Perry's. Is it's just amazing. There's a great documentary you can find um, somewhere on the uh, the streaming services called Don't Stop Believing," And it's all about Journey's search for a new lead singer and how they were just about to give up on finding somebody. Yeah, when, that dude is great. He sounds just like that guy. I, maybe, maybe better. I mean, in a different in a different way. It usually, you know, when you replace a lead singer, the group is never the same. And Journey went on to still fill stadiums and still does to this day. So there's your little musical interlude. Why did Steve game. Perry leave anyway? Was it was they getting a fight had, or something? No, no. I think he had. I think there was some vocal issues. Uh, oh, okay. So he had some. You know, I mean, when you're busting out like that. Speaking of vocal issues, I saw a story yesterday on um, one of the entertainment sites about Vince Neil. You know, of Motley yeah. Crue. That was just yeah. embarrassing, like it's so embarrassing that he had to leave the stage after, you know, like a dozen songs. He actually said, my voice is shot. I got to go. Love y'all. Like it was yeah. just it was so bad. He, I guess uh, Motley Crue is supposed to be touring with Def Leppard. And no, yeah, they're going to tour with Def Leppard and Joan Jett and uh, maybe Poison. They pushed Somebody it. Else is in there. They pushed it. Yeah. With, no, they got pushed because of COVID. It was supposed to happen in June of 2020. And and so they were all because they said in 2015, they said they're never touring again. It was the last tour. They did a big, huge tour. And then they're like, wait a second, we like money. And then they decided they want to do a big ass tour. So they've sold out all these venues all over. And Vince Neal, like it is bad. He goes, he goes, when I get high, how speed funny call for me like he just skips all the words because he's like it's like dude you need to he needs to drop about 50 pounds and uh, probably be his voice would be better and maybe just hang it up i don't know maybe just hang it up it's embarrassing anyway speaking of embarrassing the big news from the social world this week is that facebook and instagram went down and And whatsapp uh, and whatsapp all facebook services were down Mm -hmm. for hours 
And um, I celebrated. I was like, you know what? Any day that those social sites are inaccessible, any day that Zuckerberg's uh, totalitarian fascist BS social media sites are unavailable to the human race is a positive day for the human race. You know, I got to say, I, I agree. But this is, this is such an interesting thing is that on Sunday night, the quote unquote Facebook whistleblower was on 60 Minutes uh, talking about some things that Facebook was doing that was unethical and blah, blah, blah. And my, my, my spidey senses, I was like, wait a second. Why is this on CBS? Like it's part of the, it's part of the whole system. Like what? Nobody, no other time do they talk to, to whistleblowers. Then, um, then Facebook. I turn on, I turn on the day. TV and I'm like, see BS. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. And, and, uh, and so then the very next day, the, the website goes down for, I, I, they literally took their DNS records were withdrawn from the global routing tables. Like it, so everything was down. And then at the same time, like the very next day, like then they're, they're having a hearing about Facebook and, and, and Facebook is calling for, for greater standards. And like 25 years ago is when we created these standards. Now we need more stronger, stringent standards for the internet. Like there's something, there's something fucky with that. I don't quite, I don't quite know what to think of that whole thing yet, Joel, because it's almost like, here's a, here's a whistleblower. Um, now we need more. We need to, we need to put the screws down on everything. So I don't know. It's weird. Well, if you want to know, you know what you should think about it, you need to wait for uh, the media to tell you what to think about it. Okay. Okay. You know, that's good. You, you good need point. to wait for them to tell I'm you. Sorry. What You're to right. Think. So once they've line. told you, then you can, then you can ha- make up your own mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's crazy though. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger, and Oculus, they were all down. Like, this is. Yeah. Uh, centralized services, right? This is what centralized happens. services. Also, also, dude, we talked about this about a month ago when uh, the global elite had their cyber polygon uh, event, which was talking about what happens when global infrastructure goes down. What are all these, you know, and and, and back in October of 2019, they had the Agenda 21 meeting where they talked about, oh, what happens when we have this global pandemic? And then now those same people had the Cyber Polygon a couple months ago. Like, what happens when global infrastructure of the Internet goes down? And then so I don't I haven't I haven't pieced it all together yet, but it could be part of Cyber Polygon. It could be the entry point. It could be a test. What happens if all global communication goes down? Because that's what I think will happen is when 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 the global reset happens and the internet and the markets tank, they're going to take social media offline. So you guys might want to get on Signal. You might want to get on some alternative. You might want to you know have have some additional plans, maybe even some walkie talkies potentially if shit gets crazy. For all the walking and talking them. that you're going to do. Yeah, all the wonking and tonking. You're such a conspiracy theorist, Travis. Man, I just got to think things through, man, because it's like there's no there's no roadmap that tells people like there's no there's no official bullshit filter out there. You got to go through and look and see for yourself and, and and try to make heads or tails of what's really going on, because most of the time they're only telling us the narratives they want us to believe. So we got to kind of filter through the bullshit. So uh, last story, which appears to be major news this week, is from the DGen Network. Visa's latest crypto move is a big freaking 
deal because the story is, is that they are building an L2 payments channel. This mm. is in a 13 page white paper. Apparently the white paper itself is very boring, but um, Visa is looking for a super fast way to uh, have instant transactions of stable coins. And so they're building their own platform here. Um, this, is, this is mainstream stuff here. This is mainstream adoption. This tells you crypto is not going away. It also tells you the big financial companies are embracing crypto and they're trying to stay relevant, right? So when, when the um, telephone came out, you know, the, the telegraph company, they, they didn't really necessarily like telephones. When the, uh, when the refrigeration came out, the companies that did the ice box, they weren't, they weren't really big on that, right? Western Union did not become PayPal. Typically, these big monolithic organizations don't see the trend and move quickly enough, but it looks like Visa is trying to remain nimble and uh, stay relevant as the world of finance is changing. So nimble. Very nice. One other piece of news that uh, we want to cover is around the bad crypto merch. We've got a lot of really new fun shirts, coffee mugs, and so on. And we've got discount codes for you guys. If you go to NFT shirts, co it will take you to the bad crypto merch store and if you use the code um, cryptopia you'll get a 20 percent discount on all the things on the site 20 percent off at nftshirts.co forward slash um wait nftshirts.co and then the code is cryptopia 20 percent if you 20 if you use the code king daddy you get forty percent off. You get nothing. Oh no, you actually get nothing. Just, uh, you, you get it. You get a kick in the. Where's pants. your crown king? Nothing you is what nothing. you get. Uh, it takes you to uh, our our partner. There is the Bitcoin wardrobe that is doing this, but there are some great shirts. There's even a Badassiter shirt there now. That is uh, that's brand new. There's some blockchain heroes shirts there. There is uh, laptop sleeves. There's bad coin embroidered socks. There's bad coin stickers. There's a trucker cap. So it fits Travis's big head. There's coffee mugs. Um, there's a lot of great merch here. And thanks to our, our buddy uh, Christopher there, the Bitcoin wardrobe for setting this up so that you guys have a one-stop shop for all bad merch. Do it. Alrighty, Sir Lord Trav, we had a great talk with the original Diamond Hands, Jamie Ruggenzinski, and I think we should play that interview right now. Let's go right now. Let's go. Earlier this year, the stock markets were rocked as the meme stock phenomenon took on life and challenged Wall Street in a very public way. And this has actually been going on for a while, but the news captured it this year as the people took the power to buy shares of AMC and GameStop, which we call stonks. And behind this all was an internet movement called Wall Street Bets. And behind Wall Street Bets was a gentleman who goes by the name of Diamond Hands, and behind that name is an actual person. His name is Jamie Roganzinski. He's the founder of Wall Street Bets, and he's here with us with his diamond hands right now. Jamie, welcome to Bad Crypto. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Let me see your hands. I got. Oh, those are flash. Unfortunately. Oh man. 
(laughs) Plastic surgeons still haven't figured out how to make the motion in the diamond hands. (laughs) So, you know, Wall Street Bets actually goes back before the controversy because uh, there are no, you know, um, true overnight successes. Everything takes time to build and you've been building a community. When did you start Wall Street Bets? Wall Street Bets started back in, I started it in 2012 uh, when I was just really looking for a place for talking about stocks or investments in a much more aggressive manner, right? Like any any place that you find about stocks, it's always uh, conservative, let's diversify, let's do these low commission ETFs, blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to really try and get some high risk, high return. And so uh, without finding one, I just created it. Yeah, this was quite a phenomenon. And, you know, so this is bad crypto. We talk a lot about crypto um, and, and Wall Street bets is mo- mostly about stock market stuff. Did you get in crypto game early on as well? Or are you mostly just focused on stocks? No. So Wall Street bets was just focused on stocks. Like I followed Bitcoin when it started back in whenever it was 2008 ish, give or take. Economic standpoint, they got all the the check marks for it to be a currency. For the technology standpoint, it was really neat, and I was just kind of cheering it on, hoping that it would make it. And sure enough, it did. But I never really thought that it was really a relevant space in Wall Street bets because back in the day, the execution of it was not ideal. Right, the spreads were massive. Getting uh, Bitcoin was just a, a real headache. You know, there was no banks that could easily put it in there. And so I just watched from the sidelines, but I made a huge mistake, which was to not reevaluate my stance on Bitcoin, right? As the years went by, I started watching like new coins, Ethereum, all these other altcoins. And I just figured, okay, well, it's more of the same. I guess good for them, I, I suppose. And, and I hadn't realized that throughout those years, there was an entire ecosystem that is insanely sophisticated, right? What, we're, what I'm calling out, well, everyone's calling it DeFi, but just I, even that pigeonholes it into something that really is unfair. Um, so no, I not until this year I didn't get into crypto, and I regret it. Well, well you picked uh, a good year. Yeah, it's it never too, it's never too late, really, to uh, to get involved because it's still early. It really it really is. So kind of um, do some storytelling here and and, and kind of stocks, blah blah blah. People are like, okay, so are you bullish Bitcoin? And I'm like. Well, sure. Yeah. By extension, I guess. Right. But but that's not what I'm doing. Or whenever I've talked to the people that, that aren't in crypto, they, they instantly associate the scene that I was doing, this whole blockchain technology ecosystem with just this coin that goes up and down in value. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I think the crypto world found a lot of simpatico because there's a very libertarian feel in it. And what you're doing at Wall Street Bets is designed to, you know, empower people against Wall Street. So maybe take us down a, a little history here and review for us what exactly happened with GameStop and the uh, AMC uh, shares. So, you know, Wall, uh, Wall Street Bets has a history of trying to find uh, cheat codes, for lack of a better word, or to, to find their own edge, right? You have these large institutional participants in the market that have their competitive advantage, whether it's in size, whether it's in information, whether it's an infrastructure, you know, some of these are like co-located computers with the trade with really high frequency. Um, but the, the individuals, the retail traders, they don't really have any of those advantages, right? So 
So throughout the years, they found exploits and they published them and they put them on there. And some of them became uh, more famous than other ones, but always it stayed within the circle of like Bloomberg or CNBC, right? It didn't really spill out into the mainstream. And then GameStop, what happened was you have this one guy, his name is Keith Gill, uh, who also went by the name Roaring Kitty. And I don't know if I should curse or not, but Deep Effing Value is his name on Reddit. He took in a position for GameStop. He was really bullish and he's a really clever guy. And he thought for his own reasons that it was good, started posting videos and eventually it started getting traction, right? People started looking at this guy. It was a relatively big and very risky bet and took 50 grand and put him in stock options that were uh, very likely to lose all of his money. But as he started making money, he gets a lot of attention. People are like, all right, you know, maybe I buy into this thesis. And then enough people started to buy GameStop that the price just started skyrocketing. Um, there was more, more of a technical component behind here, which was multiple fold. The, the most popular aspect of this is the fact that there was a short squeeze. What this means is you have, you have hedge funds that were basically short selling the stock, meaning betting that the price would go down. And here you have Wall Street bets on the other side, betting that the price would go up. And because of the sheer volume of people, sure enough, the price did go up. And eventually these hedge funds have to close out their positions because they're just losing too much money and they cut their losses. And that was just this big rah-rah moment where it was very immediately painfully for them apparent that the retail participants are someone that, that they need to pay attention to now because when they're collectively uh, organized, they can be pretty darn powerful. Now, there were there were some other technical aspects of it, which I don't know if we want to get into, but it was, it was even more sophisticated than that, um, which is why you won't see that same thing happen whenever they pick a random stock to try and buy up. So, uh, so th- 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 there was a layer of sophistication, which I think is um, oftentimes underexplained because it's technical and it's tricky for for non-finance people to get but as far as i'm concerned that was a really really good play yeah now a lot of times there's there's problems where these organizations or groups telegram groups or signal groups or discord groups where they'll do these coordinated pump and dumps but this was different because it was like a pump and hold it was like (laughs) let's pump and pump and hold and pump and hold and make sure and let's try to bankrupt these big hedge funds like it was completely fascinating to watch that because, you know, for one, how are these hedge funds and other investors able to short things they don't own, which is weird. It seems like that should be illegal in itself. And then they have bought so much and are shorting so much of the stock, like 150% of the stock that doesn't even exist. There's not even that much to even own. And it's like, so it's like the the, the system is, is highly leveraged and manipulated by the big boys and the retail investors are always getting screwed. It seems. Yeah. You know, like it's, it, it's definitely, there's a lot of issues with finance and this dates back to when they started. Right. And 2008, we saw what happened with the financial system and pretty much collapsed uh, and in part due to some of these fancy rules and, and derivatives and, and tools. And yeah, being able to naked short sell is something that has no productive use is as unpopular as short selling is i personally think that there is a productive component to to normal short selling well, that's when you actually borrow the shares but but naked short selling has no i cannot trace something back to being a productive thing for anybody and so 
yeah, it's, it's these, these rules are kind of convoluted and, and people oftentimes don't even know what any of these things mean. Half people didn't even know that you could short sell a stock, right? Like, why would you want to do that? Um, and yeah, and, and with regards to like these, these social pump and dubs, like this, and I get the question often is so many people were saying, I'm not effing selling, even if I lose money, right? Like it wasn't even, it, it went past just being greedy it's a or religion wanting to make money. at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it becomes evident that there's a cultural aspect, which is huge, right? Like there is, you have a lot of questions from people that are similarly scratching their heads with NFTs. Like, why would you pay a few thousand dollars for that picture or whatever? It's, it's uh, emblematic of this, I don't know if it's generation or demographic or whatever it might be of saying, hey, look, we value things slightly differently, right? And in this particular case, I value uh, holding on to GME because I like the company and I want it to get better. I like the stock uh, or it's because I want to hurt the, the hedge funds or whatever it is. But loot, making money is no longer the primary objective for a lot of people, which was really fascinating to watch. It was yeah, almost yeah. kind of like a next level Occupy Wall Street kind of protest, except instead of protesting out on Wall Street, they protested within uh, the, the ecosystem and the economy and protested with their with their stocks. Yeah. Like I tweeted during that that whole saga, I said, looks like Occupy had the wrong approach, right? Mm, like, nice. <laughs> just going out there and complaining just didn't really seem to do. And that thing fizzled out. And I think that that's I don't think it started off as a movement because it was impossible to predict what was going to happen the way that it did. So I, I certainly didn't expect for this thing to, to be as big as they did. But uh, as as this thing was evident that people, these hedge funds are starting to lose money, I think a lot of these feelings that were pent up back from 2008, 2009, people that were hurt from that financial crisis, remember that, right? A lot of these people just kind of you know, went home and the economy improved and, and, and life moved on, but there was never ever any closure as to as to that whole saga. So I think that those feelings started to get sorry, resurfaced. And then that's when you all of a sudden you have a movement where people are actually becoming more activist in, in their language and in their motives. Yeah, nobody right. was actually nobody was actually uh, jailed. There was nobody of that whole crash of 2008. There was no banker that went down. You know, Lehman Brothers went down, but other other banks just went in and bought their assets and and then I think there was a few fines that people had, but it was like nobody got jailed for basically crashing the economy. Well, and I, I even think I, letting Lehman Brothers fail, I think the government regretted doing that right away, right? Because that started a huge cascade. Like I think I think it would have been cheaper for them to avoid it. So it could have been, you know, it's it's philosophically a conundrum, right? Like they should have bailed out Lehman so that they didn't have to bail everyone out so that the whole world economy, but then we wouldn't have realized everything that's how delicate everything is. So, you know, at the end of the day, maybe they should have let everything collapse. Like Iceland did and Iceland straight up just defaulted back in mid two thousands, I believe. Hmm. So how long do you think that uh, they can keep kicking the can forward here on our economy and printing money before we see a, a complete collapse of the markets? A long time. Uh, the, the they look the the dollar is the world currency, like the static the, the, the currency is used around the world. Until that changes, they have a free ticket that nobody else has. Right? I live in Mexico now, and if they try to do something like that, just everything would crumble. Right? Uh, but it's impossible. So that you know, there's there's two things to know. One, it will happen at some point. 
right? Like at some point, the US dollar will not be the currency of choice for around the world. It's not going to be the, the currency to buy oil and to do all these other huge transactions. And uh, and we know that when that happens, it'll crash, but it's really hard to tell. I mean, I think that trying to time that crash is going to be, uh, at least to try and profit from it, is going to be really counterproductive and really painful because it could be like five years, 50 years, or you know, 150 years, who knows? Uh, but what, what people can do is kind of prepare for that, right? Like have their collateral nicely diversified, right? And be able to, to sustain, you know, withstand that that type of crash. But this this free ticket for printing money is uh, is, is, is a sustainable strategy until it's not. So, you know, I, I'm of the mind that we are near the end of the paper money fiat currency cycle. Right. If you see the world reserve currency over time, you know, Portugal had it for a while. The Dutch had it for a while. The Spanish had it for a while. The UK, the pound was there for about 100 years. And the dollar now has had it for about 100 years. And, and it seems like always around 100 years, maybe 100, 120 years is about how long reserve currency has typically lasted. And so I've been a little terrified of the stock market, quite frankly, right? You and I, we had a conversation a little offline, before, but like, that's why I didn't participate in the big stock market, right? Because I knew that Amazon, I thought, oh, that's going to be a great company. Google, these are great companies. These are probably going to be pretty big. But I've always been of the mindset of, well, the rug could be pulled at any time with this economy. And so it's a little, little I've been a little timid. And that's why I like crypto so much, because it's based on math and algorithms. And you had a really good point. You're like, well, do you really think that these bankers and these people who are printing this money are going to want the precious stock market to collapse? It's like you're either with them, you're either against them, or you or you work with them in some way, so it benefits you. So that was a that's a pretty smart over there. It seems like it's yeah, I, yeah. I mean, philosophically, it's 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 correct what you're saying, right? Like we know for a fact that it's not going to be the world reserve currency, mm-hmm. so it's going to happen at some point. But I think, you know, when I first got started, I bought into a lot of these doom and glooms. And how many times, now that I keep hearing China in the news, all this, I, I can't remember the number of times China was in the news because of the economy. And when I first got started, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 this one's a big one, right? And then, and then it, you know, sure, we ha- we've had some, some pretty major dips in fact during the coronavirus, but it just keeps rebounding. So it's like, all right. Well, if these guys are printing money, right? And everyone's upset, like, oh, the stock's only up because they're printing money. Like, yeah, that, that's that's correct. But they are printing money. <laughs> and so the stocks are up. And I don't really think that they're going to, you know, the, the, half the Federal Reserve's job right now, <laughs> instead of controlling unemployment and, and inflation, which is their core mandate, it's the stock market. You know, it's the chairman of the stock market. And they're not going to let that thing collapse until they no longer have any firepower. Then they want to have a choice. So what was your aha moment for crypto? You know, you said earlier you regret not getting in sooner. When did the lights go on? You're like, ah, okay, I'm in. When I saw the the technology that was just linking one stuff to another stuff and and, and tokenizing these kind of transactions in, in really creative ways, right? So like there's one moment where I really found myself humbled. And that's like, I opened up this Binance, uh, whatever the app and I'm, and I'm playing around and I'm, and I'm a hands-on learner. So I click on stuff and I buy stuff and I don't mind if I lose money in the process because it, you know, I learned. So I saw this thing about ETFs and, and I noticed that they were percentages weren't 
quite tracking Bitcoin correctly. And so, of course, I try to buy it and then it stops me and it says, sorry, you don't know what you're doing. These things are leveraged ETFs. And so you need to watch a video and take a quiz. And I'm like, hell, I don't know what these things are. I know, I know every, there's nothing you could ever teach you. Like I, when I started Wall Street Bets, I wrote the long dissertation specifically about leveraged ETFs because I thought they were dangerous. And so I'm, so I rolled my eyes, but I did take notice. I'm like, this is kind of cool that this private initiative to protect consumers as opposed to just here, check this thing here. If you acknowledge you're going to lose your money, right. Which is fine too, but it's cool that they're watching out for people. It's not from the FC, sorry, SEC or FINRA. This is from them just trying to do the right thing, keep their customers. So I watched the video and to my surprise, I actually learned something, right? First, like the video was really well made. It was explaining leveraged ETFs. It's really complicated. And they did a great job. And, and I learned that these guys figured out a way to do these things called variable leveraged ETFs to mitigate something called volatility decay associated with these things. That's a lot of words for saying they figured out a workaround from a nasty side effect that prevents these things from going to zero dollars with 100% certainty. Mm. All ETFs in the stock market that are leveraged, right? Given enough time and conditions, they will all go to zero with certainty. It's a mathematical, but these guys figured out a way around it. I'm like, how and why does this not exist in the other side of the world, right? And, and it's just, that's when I realized that there's so much, uh, uh, control with these smart contracts and with this logic that's put in place and with this really good understanding of finance, right? Like no non-finance person didn't figure that out. Like a very smart finance person thought of that. So that's when I'm like, all right, what else is possible? Pretty much anything, you know, after that, I was like, all right. So now given all these other things, I started looking into these tokenized, like these mirrored assets or whatever. And I'm like, okay, this is neat. You can put stocks if you want to kind of tokenize. And that's neat. Like, in fact, that's one of the things that we're doing. Uh, but but it occurred to me if they, the, the way it works is you basically take a thing that has a number, right? Anything that has a number, and then the system goes and checks that number, and then it with logic spits it out and makes this token valued based off of rules. So very easily you could make a token that says this is going to short sell snow. So if I owned a ski resort and I said, look, if I get 60 inches of snow, I'm good to go this year. If I get zero inches of snow, nobody's coming this year. If I get 30 inches of snow, then I'm going to get some you know, low, low showing, but people still show up. So I'm going to short sell 60 inches of snow. If it gets to zero inches of snow, then I'm going to recover my entire, You know, I'm going to make a lot of money from this, or at least I'm going to recover what I lost from non, not having skiers or proportionally based off of how much. And that would be very easily done with, these, with the technology that already exists. So here you could have like a a very sophisticated financial instrument for somebody to hedge against weather conditions for his particular business. That's cool, right? Like much more sophisticated than futures for commodities. It's really interesting how, you know, crypto markets are doing things to protect consumers that the traditional markets really don't do. And it seems like, you know, with these, uh, you know, big powerful hedge funds, like they're protecting them in a lot of ways, but not necessarily protecting the consumer. I find that just really, really interesting. And then I want to actually get your opinion on this. So this past week, there was a whole lot of FUD about the economy potentially collapsing in China with the whole Evergrande, Evergrande, Evergrande thing that was popping up with one of China's largest real estate developers. And then, you know, China sort of bailed out that company and it didn't even look like a blip. Like it didn't, it didn't empower the US dollar at all, which I was kind of surprised about. 
What's your take on that whole Evergrande scenario? Well, I mean, it's similar to my take on the U.S. dollars reserve. Like, it, it, you know, when when we get the next cyclical downturn, it'll be very evident. And until that moment is, it's just people being, uh, uh, what do you call it, schemish or squittish or skittish about the uh, about what, whatever the next catalyst is going to be. I didn't really pay too much attention. Like, I did follow it, right? But I didn't really give it too much importance. Um, I, I pronounce it ever grenade because <laughs> that's what I see. <laughs> right. Um, but like you know, like answer this to me. I also saw last week that China said no more bitcoins here. Like, how many times has China banned Bitcoin in the past decade? Like, how many more times can it ban it? Right. Like, yeah, it goes down for a minute and then it goes right back up. So until there's an actual force that is big, maybe if maybe if China had let it collapse, then that would have been a bigger deal. Who knows? Um, but it was unlikely that they would do that. So it's it's looking for pip, it's looking for a reason for the for the bears to mm. to salivate because one of the well, eventually they'll be right. You know, there's going to be something that's going to happen, and that's going to be the one, and that's the one time they they will have been able to say, "All right, I've been telling you all along that this was going to happen." Yeah. <laughs> so Peter Peter Schiff will be like, oh. "See, I told you." <laughs> yeah. So Peter Schiff, you know, like. He's going to be sitting on a huge pile of gold that still like hasn't moved in the past. I don't know how many years, but yeah, no, like it's just people are people are are, are saying it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and they just see that over and over and over. But they'll see that also with Bitcoin. Like I am indifferent towards because I you know I have the passion towards the stock market, and now I have it with with crypto as well. You will have people say this is the big one, this is the big one, but like so what? You know, the Bitcoin went from like what three hundred bucks to like. 70 bucks or I found I found an article I tweeted out from The Economist, but I did, I purposely didn't put the date, which, you know, I'm like, hey, guys, this news about China is nothing compared to this particular article. They were saying Bitcoin is over. Right. And I purposely didn't say the date so that people could open it up. See it from 2011 where the price went from 30 to three. Right. Like, and so what? Now it's like 40. And, and it's 000. no change. Uh, somebody in one of the groups I'm in posted a, an article from four years ago, September 2017, that says China's banning Bitcoin and it dropped from $4,500 to $4,000. Okay, so what else is new? So I wonder, um, you know, being in this crypto space, you know, and Wall Street Bets has really built, um, the community is built on Reddit, which is a very centralized system. Uh, has there been any thought to moving to a decentralized type of service? And along those lines, what do you think of the big central media, uh, social media centralized tech giants? I'm not a big fan of s- centralized tech giants. Uh, you know, like if, uh, you know, I, I had my issues with Reddit. So I guess like my perspective is, is more anecdotal and personal. But, but there's also philosophical issues from a bigger scale, right? Like you do at the end of the day have things that are either centrally controlled or centrally reliant or whatever it might be. And, and so the, the answer to that is kind of twofold. Yes. And one of the things that I'm working on is a, is a decentralized uh, ecosystem for all things finance on the blockchain with the, bre- the Wall Street Bets brand on it, right? So we have like this governance token where people can buy it, they can vote on um, creating these hybrid ETPs, which which have like stocks as well as cryptos in them, and people can you know invest their money that way or YOLO or whatever. Uh, but also, there's there's a lot of 
factions. Like I, I own the trademark to Wall Street Bets, but I've chosen not to enforce it anywhere because there's Telegram and Discord and TikTok and you name it. Like everywhere there's Wall Street Bets. I, I'd, I'd be dumb to, yeah, I don't know. I'd be like this pompous ass wife to, to think that I'm above it or I am the thing and reason why. Like the reason why these things work is because the community. I didn't do GameStop. I didn't do the infinite margin glitch. I didn't do the box spreads. I didn't do it like half the things that you see or, or for the community. So it's kind of transcended a technology and just become an idea, right? Like represents, hey, I'm going to be empowered by this. I'm going to do what I want. You know, I could take risks or I can stick it to the man or whatever it is, but, but it's going to be me that maybe I'll lose money, but it'll still be me. And I'm super happy with that. And so uh, I, I am making a push for the decentralized blockchain version, but I'm also happy to see that this thing lives in a lot of places. Well, the, the article that I found here on Coindesk from uh, May of this year says Wall Street Bets founder to launch blockchain app to combat market manipulation. It also says you're no longer in association with Wall Street bets is, is so start with that. Is that correct? That yeah, that was the issue that I was referencing with Reddit. Like I stepped away from uh I was actually removed from from Wall Street bets in April of 2020 by Reddit. Okay. Um, really? Yeah, it's it's okay. so I was accused of trying to profit, right? Which is a funny accusation because I wrote a book um and uh and then I started creating this competitive day trading competition that uh, I had to cancel because of coronavirus. And that's, that's, that's the reason why people use for having removed me. There's, there's another reason for it, which is like the subject of a documentary that I now sold my rights to, and they're in the process of finishing. So, so I'll be able to talk about that once that's released and, you know, but like at the end of the day, look, it hurt a little bit, but then I got past it because I think that it's, it's that same idea of, you know, I'd get messages from a taxi driver and spin says, I don't know anything about a stock or anything about anything, but you're the man, like, keep it up. Or from Korea, they say, hey, we want to do K Street bets or Korea Street bets so that we can kind of fight the, the short sellers. A uh, guy from Netherlands, hey, we want to do that here, but we don't have access to the stocks. Like, that's that's so much more humbling and so much more gratifying to see that this thing just has become this omnipresent philosophy you've created a worldwide movement and really helped educate people about some of the evils that happen within this global economy and you know and some people uh, on the left will say oh capitalism is bad and you know capitalism is not bad but when you got crony capitalism and you got capitalism that benefits only the few that's a problem. And that's really what seems to happen in a lot of these cases where the bankers and the uber rich really sort of help themselves become even richer at the expense of everyone else. It seems. Yeah. Look, capitalism is is not bad. If it wasn't for capitalism, we wouldn't even have Bitcoin or computers for that matter. Right. Like or the banking system. Right. It's the same thing. But at the same of the day, it's like a pendulum that swings and it gets really far away from the original concept. Like I, I was asked by a reporter from Reuters. He, he asked me when they started talking about AMC and the price started going up and, you know, the movie theater chain wanted to sell more stocks to raise cash to try and, you know, reinvent themselves. And the CEO went out there and said, Hey, we were going to sell more shares, but just know like they're not really worth as much as you guys are paying for them. So that, so the general says, aren't you outraged that this guy is going out there and just selling shares and saying to people that they're not worth it and people are still buying them. I'm like, hold on a second. The only thing outrageous is this question. Here you have a company that's using a capital markets 
to raise capital, to reinvest into their business so that they can create jobs and goods and services and whatever the economy improves. Like that's what the stock market is. Did you forget that? Like, but the stock has gotten so far away from the original productive component of it. The people now no longer recognize it and they feel strange when a company's actually using it to raise capital. Like it's just, so yeah, I do, I do think it's crazy, but I think it swings both ways. And I think we're going back towards the center. So tell us more about this token and DAO and application that you are working on now. Can you give us a name, website? What do we know? Yeah. Wallstreetbets.net is where you can find everything about this. It's a, it's a DAP, decentralized application. Um, and we're putting in an entire ecosystem for people to do uh, a lot of things finance related and hopefully all. So currently we have a handful of products with more on the way. The first one is these ETPs, which is like, it's like an ETF, but on the blockchain, it's it's a basket of stuff. So people, token holders will go on and say, all right, let's create a, an investment vehicle with like 10% Bitcoin and 15% Ethereum, 5% Apple and whatever the rest, Tesla. And, and so it makes those two types, which is pretty cool. And then it wraps them up into a, a token and then people can buy it and redeem it whenever they want. Um, we have tokenized stocks. So this is for people that want to trade 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week. Uh, they may not have access to the U.S. stock market. So you can you can buy you know a bunch of stocks that way. And these are mirrored assets. So they're not, they're not collateralized with the underlying stock. We're on the precipice of releasing the, the tokenized version, sorry, the collateralized version, which is uh, going to trade 20 hours a day, six days a week, if I'm not mistaken, or seven, I don't remember. Uh, but someone's going to actually go out, buy the, the stock, keep it, and then pass the dividends on and the voting uh, rights and all these different things. Um, we have this macro hedge, which um, which I'm sure Travis sounds like Travis would like, which is this sophisticated um, fiat protection. A lot of these stable coins like track fiat currencies. So there's people that are questioning what the purpose of having them is. Um, so th- this is kind of a, a creative way around this. And, and there's going to be just more, more of these things. And the idea is access for everything, full transparency, use the blockchain uh, to try and facilitate a lot of these transactions and improve and increase participation. At the end of the day, more people that are involved in something, the better it becomes. Yes, yeah, so you can actually check this out on CoinGecko. It looks like you've been around. You've launched in what, late April, early May? And uh, it took off. And then now you're still getting about over half a million dollars a day in trading volume on this thing. It's the WSB token currently at about 2.5 cents. How many total tokens are there uh, and how many or how many are in circulation right now and how many will there be? Uh, I, I know parts of those answers. So like the there's a billion tokens there's going to be a billion tokens. That's how many we opened off with. We opened up with a hundred million and we've been giving them out with um, these liquidity farming programs and things of that nature. So we're somewhere in between. I'm probably guessing 40% or so has, has has been distributed. And, you know, like it's interesting to me because, so I'm from the, the, the stock market world and I'm new to this uh, crypto world and I'm learning a lot about it. But at the same extent, I'm also trying to not convert myself completely because my goal is to try and bridge crypto with Wall Street. Like there's so many people on both sides that are just mutually exclusive. And there's th- th- the amount of power this thing could have in participants and money and everything else 
benefits to society would be so much better if they were combined. And so I, I'm almost stubborn about not really getting too much into these things. Like when we launched in, in, it was like April, I think there wasn't really a launch, right. For crypto people, it's like, Oh, cool. We launched, we're there. You can buy the coin, I guess. Uh, but the coin didn't do anything, you know, for, I didn't know what farming, liquidity farming, all these things where I did learn eventually. And it's great. It's, it's, it's a really great exercise. I really thought, but like uh, well, everything behind that, but this coin was nothing like there was no ETPs. There was no like tokenized anything. So we still haven't fully finished like launching the product. As far as I'm concerned, the product itself, we're up and running. We already have a bunch of these things. Anytime that people use our platform, there's um, like a small fee that gets rolled up into the treasury. People can then vote with their DAP tokens, how to use that money. Uh, we just, for example, sold some where, um, well, actually we're pre-selling these NFTs because um, there's a lot of benefits to having identified community members. And we want to try and give them better like rates for everything and just improve the overall experience for everything. And, and then we're going to have this app on the phone. Like once everything's up and running, then you can, then you can say that we've launched. Like I'd say we're still kind of um, building up towards the, the ultimate goal, but in the process, it's still, it's still been a really awesome ride, right? Like we've had yeah. a really strong community. We have like over a hundred thousand on telegram, just started a discord a week or two ago. So we're going to start getting, um, you know, we have several thousand people that are joining there and it's, it's, uh, it's robust. It's robust. I, yeah. I went down the uh, the rabbit hole a little bit further here. So wsbdap.com is where you guys can see the D app, but that took me to the uh, the NFT collection, which is wsbcollectibles.io. And what you're doing here is you've got these uh, diamond hands, basically. It's a hand that yeah. have, you know, bling on it or a tattoo holding a different colored diamond, but you're not selling them straight up. You're selling raffle tickets that what then some people will get the nft and some won't so you know this is this is where like i rely on experts because i'm self-admitted uh noob so we have like experts that have designed this thing in the entire rollout like i've been very focused on the utility behind these things and making sure that regardless of what they look like as far as i'm concerned it could just be a pixel that's black uh, but as long as I can give everyone function, I'm happy. Of course, the other people are like, no, it's got to look cool. So we got those people. And then the other guys that are actually rolling this out, they said, look, gas is really expensive. If we do these raffle tickets, what we do is they'll pay just like a fraction of what you're paying in big gas. They win an NFT, we'll just airdrop it to them. And if they don't win the NFT, they're going to get their, their a full refund for their money back. And you know, if they haven't sold out the raffle tickets, they could potentially try again. Or October 1st, when the raffle is over, people can then buy the NFT normally, um, just at a higher gas fee. So it's it's a gas workaround. And I've seen a lot of creative efforts uh, around these, these crazy gas fees. This is one of them. Very cool. Yeah, I went down the rabbit hole too. I was at about five raffle tickets before Joel mentioned anything. So it just happens to be that we're right now in the window, probably when this show is live, that window will have passed because this will probably going to go live in a couple of weeks. So, but you can still go to wsbcollectibles.io. And if it's after August, uh, what, October 7th, then there's going to be some additional NFTs 
that are going to yeah so that so like that raffle ticket if you win the diamond hands nft you're actually going to get four total so you're going to get the diamond hands which you can see on like uh, you know various examples in my profile Uh on twitter and then you're going to get a bull and a bear and then an ape um as these things get rolled down and this is going to be so so so, and those are all just free of cost you just need to pay the gas to to claim them or whatever so you end up with four per for diamond hands pass so what what are the odds this is actually a generative art set joel yeah i know what are the odds of uh getting of winning in the raffle because i see there's fifteen thousand diamond hand passes you know total um you've got about 600 700 items that have been created so far so obviously it's not going to come you know close to the cap does that mean everybody who buys the pass is going to get yeah the tickets going to get the nft that's right. Yeah. Like if, if there's fewer raffle tickets than number of diamond passes or the diamond hands, um, then everyone's going to win one. That's correct. Got it. Yeah, it is. It is generative. I was kind of hoping to see uh, the diamond hands character. You know, when I saw oh, they're doing NFTs, you know, the, the guy with the blonde hair and the hands out on both sides. But this is nice artwork, um, obviously hand drawn. Yeah, no, we have like just a, an incredible team. We ended up we did this event on Decentraland um, on September. It was like a week or two ago. And these guys are incredible, incredible. Not just artists, really creative individuals. They just love and breathe and live and breathe, breathe the space. And they've, they're the ones that have been guiding us and connected us to some of the most talented individuals for both the uh, artwork as well as the d- design and the programming for it and the whole nine yards. You're, you're, you're killing it, bro, man. Proud of, proud of what you're building out there and in, in, uh, educating the people. And, and really doing what you can to make this whole space more secure and safe for the folks, you know? Yeah, no, thank you. Look, I'm really excited about this. I think that it was clear the trends with that retail uh, participants were going to get more involved and more active in their finances. We started seeing this dating back to the financial uh, crisis, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And the writing's been on the wall, the number of people getting into crypto, the number of people getting into finance, the number of people that have just wanted to take hands-on approach has been very rapidly increasing. And then the coronavirus where locked everyone up and canceled all forms of entertainment pretty much catapulted that um, that tendency that was already in place. So I think that I think that all in all, it was a really good thing. Uh, when it comes to, to empowering individuals, and I'm happy to be a part of the forefront. It's, it's inevitable that the finance, traditional finance and crypto are going to blend. They already are. Um, and, and I want to be there at the forefront. Amazing. Jamie, thanks for coming on today, sharing your story. And you guys can find links to all of the sites referenced in our show notes because awesome producer Aaron discovers all those as she edits the show. So uh, thanks again, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks, Jamie, for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And hopefully everybody enjoyed that uh, that interview right there. We've got a lot of great interviews here in the queue, Sir Lord Travis. We've been talking to lots of people because there is a lot happening in the space. And um, we're pretty excited about all of it. Most it's of it. Crazy, it's a crazy world that we're in. And we help you guys navigate it. And it really, a lot of this doing the show is about, has always been, we're dissecting it and try to understanding it for ourselves because we're doing our own research. 
and we share this, we share the information with you guys that, we, that we're finding interesting. We like to bring great guests over that uh, you guys are going to find interest in and learn from, right? Because we're all trying to learn and make sense of this crazy world. And uh, and so that's, that's really the reason why we do what we do is for, for us to understand it and for, to help you guys understand it. Because really, in this next age, you need to be you need to be sovereign. You need to remain sovereign. And you, how are you going to do that? Have sovereign wealth. How do you have sovereign wealth? Well, you probably want to have some gold, some silver. Probably want to have some ammo. Probably want to have some crypto. Paper money is nearing the end of life cycle. Don't be surprised if it goes poof. It's, it's not going to. It's not going to be a slow slow kind of a drip it's going to be a rip the band-aid off and global markets are going to crash whenever how how that hurt when you did that when you rip mm-hmm. band-aid off yeah you're ripping so, it. why would you do that get your cryptos folks step right up Pay get your cryptos make sure you go review the show and uh we've had a bunch of um of people call in to the bad crypto hotline and uh, i think uh in, a, in an upcoming show we're probably going to play a bunch of these we I probably should have done it for episode five 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 because that's pretty cool. So maybe we'll do it in episode six six six. Yeah, or someday, sometime soon. So if you want to call podcast of the devil, what uh, is this? Love- this is five five five. What is this? The number of? It's the number of the episode. <laughs> so, okay, perfect. Well, uh, fives are my deal because I was born on May fifth. I'm a Cinco de Mayo baby. So yeah, okay. they, they throw a big party every year on my birthday. The bad crypto hotline number seven zero eight. 885-9030. Call us. It's it's open 24-7. Uh, it rings directly to Travis's cell phone. He'll pick it up no matter what time of day it is. And he'll what do you want? <laughs> Even if you want to call, you know, you can call and, and give us your feedback. You can tell us a story. You can tell us what you've learned from the show. You can tell us what you haven't learned from the show. Uh, or you can just call us and tell us to stay back. Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. 708-885-9030. Stay bad. Stay bad.